Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh God, it's a, is the one you told me earlier. It's just dumb. Early her. <laughs> Early her. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna put the her in under her. We're really trying to stay committed yeah. to the things yeah, that when we start this podcast, we're like we're gonna put the sheer her in something. Yeah. And then we're gonna have a compliment for one another. No matter how and much it's been it doesn't really work, hard I won't give up lately. I'm never going to give it up. Because at some point, we're going to get it back. Get what back? Like the ability. We'll find more words. <laughs> They'll be written. Joy, I lost the ability about a year and a half ago. What about ago? other languages? <laughs> just, just Can so we know. tap into that resource? People send, and what, what ruins it is people send me suggestions, and then I'm like, well, I can never use that. Well, and so, well, then stop, guys. <laughs> Because you're used, to, you just heard that Summer has some weird principle about not using ones that are suggested to her. If you recommend it, to she's me, a millennial. There's something in my flesh that says, "Well, it's not yours anymore, Summer." Right. Someone else thought of that. So I can't do it. But we're here today to talk about how to live under God's law. And I just thought under under her under her, but it's feeling weird now. So hi, my name's <laughs> my name's Summer, and I'm here with my beautiful ghost Joy. Joy is here with our beautiful co-host Summer, mm-hmm. but we have another co-host. And if you um, clicked on the picture, you saw his face already. Is my it's- face going to be on it? <laughs> yeah. That's how you're going to sell this episode. Yeah. Yep. Great. We're here with Jeff Dur. <laughs> Except for he's a guy, so he doesn't yeah. have to put the her in anything. Okay, that's right. Herbin. Um, so the thing about Jeff Dur- Durbin. Durbin. <laughs> I can't do it now. now I'm not going to be able to not hear it. Jeff Hurry. Durbin. Jeff Hurry Durbin. <laughs> Jeff Hurry. You can have to oh, put yeah, that. That has to be part of the post. Jeff, Jeff Durbin. Durbin. The thing about Jeff Durbin is that um we both have known him let's see i met jeff when i was eight well yeah it's funny because you've known jeff longer than i have that's but right. that's not a very common claim that many people can I make i know i win you do <laughs> i win this one so, summer's very competitive yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. just don't don't tell anybody <laughs> and pretend like i'm not so you don't see me coming but right. um <laughs> so we've both known jeff forever um, I remember, I kind of remember when Apologia started and people, I would kind of get offended when people would be like, hey, have you ever heard of, of Apologia and Jeff Durbin? I'd be like, what? I've known him since what? I was eight. <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> yeah, I know them. Okay. Um, but Jeff has known us for a long time. So we decided we would let him tell you guys yeah. a weird fact about us mm-hmm. instead of us telling you guys <laughs> a weird thing about Which, each other. The way he's... The way he's laughing I feel right like now. we might regret <laughs> I'm a this little... decision. I'll stick to I'll stick to what we sort of like touch the edges of. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start with Joy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Can I tell the one we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. Because you're married now, and it's yeah. all it's all good. Mm-hmm. So um... and it's funny because I like forget about this. Right. 
It's a thing I remember, well, and I'm like, oh, Actually, yeah. let me start here real fast. So there was one time, and I, I've never talked to you about this, and this is the time to actually confront this. Ooh. I've never oh. actually talked about it. I'm so excited. So when we were at LifeQuest. I was, I was pastoring at LifeQuest, and um, I think this is when I was doing college ministry, uh-huh. and I think Scott was still there doing, yeah. doing um, Epic. Yeah. And um, you were with, oh, what was her name? I forget her name. It just escaped me. You were like in the, in the, um, the boardroom, and you guys were like doing a video together. Oh, Jessica. The, yeah, Jessica. Kokonowski, yeah. Were you guys doing stuff about me? You had like your shirts like like halfway unbuttoned. <laughs> we did make a video where yeah. we were pretending to be you. Yes, I thought you were. And Jessica drew chest hair yes. on her. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my god. Apparently yes. this is a thing because yeah. Clementine did a video yeah. pretending <laughs> to be you. I yeah. totally forgot about that. Well, yeah. like my friend Jessica and I, we were uh, we were youth staff at the time. And anytime there was like a camp or something like that, we just started doing this thing where we would make a promotional video for it. And you know what? Honestly, I don't even know if anyone ever saw any of the videos no. that we ever made. All I remember is coming by and like greeting you guys and you guys were like, <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed she had chest hair like drawn on and like her. And I was like, wait, what are, hey, so I was smiling. Hey guys, you were like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I well, the very first thing I remembered was the chest hair, yeah, but right. I don't really think of you as someone that has like a, bunch a of lot chest of hair chest hair, out. but yeah. I don't have any. Maybe at the time, <laughs> yeah. we thought that. Yeah. That's so weird. Right. So I've known, I've known Joyce since she was, long time I know, ago. I've known Joyce wow. since she was in gr- uh, youth group. And then um, somewhere around between maybe before we planted Apologia Church or something, like we knew Jerry and I've known Jerry since 1996, since I was 18 years old. And we knew Joy, and we loved them both, and we we so badly wanted them to be together, and so we we were their two single friends. I was right. We were the, they were the single friends. So we were talking Joy up to Jerry, and we were talking Jerry up to Joy. And I remember like we were trying to like drop seeds, like you know, if you guys aren't married by the time you're 32, maybe like you guys maybe you could just come to some kind of agreement. That's what we were trying to do. Is like, how about we have like a 10 year agreement where you guys just get married? It's like and, something out of Friends. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so what happened was was the first night we were going to bring them together, big plan with Luke and Cheryl and, and me and Candy. Candy was away in Kentucky at the time, but we're like, we're going to finally get them to hang out and be together. And so we scheduled this night to go see a movie, all of us together, and they were all going to stay at my house. Mm-hmm. How old are we? What were we thinking? <laughs> I don't even know, but we had a sleepover, <laughs> which sounds weird. Over. Cheryl and I slept in... The girls, the girls room, room. yeah and yeah. then everyone else like slept in the that's, living room that's all right. the dudes slept i'm in wondering the living how room. much of a story i should tell so um, <laughs> um uh, i'm sure you had chest hair at the time yeah, just, yeah, all over the place so we're talking you don't understand i'm talking jerry up to joy as much as i can like you know he's great he's wonderful you know and i'm trying to just talk and, and joy you know she's relatively like oh okay whatever and she's not r- really dismissive but she's like whatever um, and, uh, so the first night we try to introduce Jerry to joy, uh, Jerry shows up to my house. No, to the, we met him at the, at the parking the, lot. I think. Yeah. And, um, he it's, it's just mind you, it's not Halloween. It's October 30th. It's October 30th. And we're going to see a movie together. First time he's meeting joy. I've talked him up like big time and he comes dressed as Billy Mays. <laughs> The guy from the OxyClean commercials, he's got his, his beard painted mm-hmm. on. He's dressed like Billy. He's acting like Billy Mays. And I'm like, Because what? he thinks it's Halloween. He thought it was Halloween. 
Now, if you tell people this story, and Jerry, if you listen to this, you know you're like my best friend. Um, if you I think Jerry loves this story yeah. anyway. If you tell Jerry about, if you tell, like, he he laughs and he's like, yeah, but if you tell anybody about the story, they're like, yeah, that's Jerry. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. It doesn't surprise me, no. but it's still hilarious. You don't understand. Okay, here's what makes it even better. Yeah. Is that all we did is just we're like, it's just Jerry. <laughs> we didn't say, we didn't say, Jerry, why are you dressed up? It's not Halloween. <laughs> we were just like, it's just Jerry being silly. Yeah. I found out later, I think years later, that he didn't find out till the next day when he woke up. When it was Halloween. When it was Halloween. Oh, no. And he was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> like the next day, someone that he, like someone was taking their kids to, to trick or treat. And he was like, that's weird. Why would you do that to Jerry? <laughs> But also, Jerry didn't just show up dressed as him. You know Jerry and his impressions. Yeah. He was him. Yeah. He was the man. (laughs) It was hilarious. You guys, you didn't tell him the whole night. No. I just thought, I I just thought, I just, we just honestly thought that that Jerry was being silly. Like he was meaning to do it. Yes. And so I didn't, I barely, I didn't even know Jerry. And I was like, okay. So yeah, we the whole night never mentioned it to him, and the next day he found out. Uh, bye, babe, love you. My wife just walked in. Um, bye, Candy, love you. So um, bye, Candy, love you. Yeah. So <laughs> so that was yeah, and that night was fun. Um, there were uh, we tried our best to scare her, to scare Joy and Cheryl. She, I love to scare Cheryl because she's easy. It's yeah. easy to scare her. Mm-hmm. So I know that at one point I think I dressed in like a costume and like hid above the you closet. You did. You did. You put this wig on, and every once in a while this <laughs> picture shows up. <laughs> And he was like in the top of the closet. And so I like walked in and like all the guys are like kind of hovering around. And I was like, what's going on? And I look up and Jeff's like hissing. He's like hissing in the closet. That well, is- then for a while when they used to tell this story, they were like, and they were so scared. And Cheryl and I were in, we were laying in bed and we just heard grown men giggling in the hallway and then they'd be like what happened <laughs> and what movie i don't even i don't i don't like horror movies but i think we went and saw a it was paranormal activity paranormal activity and it was yeah. something in a movie where they were trying to like find out if the ghosts were coming or whatever and so mm-hmm. they put like powder on the floors yeah, the to baby see powder. Mm-hmm. so what we did is we put baby powder all over the floor and somebody <laughs> put their butt prints into the floor so it was it was butt feet <laughs> so it was it was it was literally a it Which was seems like something a demon would have <laughs> butt feet. or as we found out nero would definitely have some butt feet <laughs> so it was it was it was butt prints with and and we put the the toes around the butt so it looked like it had butt feet <laughs> Oh, it was man. ridiculous. Yes, yes. Um, That's and just in case anyone's you. worried, I'm pretty sure this is before you were a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I was a pastor. <laughs> I was definitely a pastor. Um, so, uh, what's what's a, a story about summer? I can't believe I didn't know that about Jerry. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know Jerry, and I love Jerry. Well, I've known all Jerry makes sense, since right? since like 1986 too. Mm-hmm. That's right. So my summer uh, stories about huh. summer. Let's see here. So I met Summer when she was itty itty bitty. I it mean, was. it's so crazy. Eight years old. Okay. You were younger than Stellar. Uh huh. And I remember 
that I was like, you know, Dr. White's my spiritual father in the faith. He's my hero. He's my friend. And back then, you know, I, I wasn't as close to him as I am now, but I was still like, I was always hovering and always listening. Yeah, and, I remember. Yeah, always. <laughs> like if, I, if he was ever in a conversation with somebody, I would try to find a way out of my conversation. <laughs> and talk to it. Uh-huh. So, um, but I do remember uh, like when I first saw Summer is like, oh, he brought his daughter. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. And like everything and, you know, try, trying to, you know, be nice to her. But I remember a few times where like I'd be talking to somebody and her dad would be talking to somebody and I would look over and I'd see somewhere by me. And I was like, why is she talking? Why is she listening to me? I was, I was like, why don't uh-huh. you go, go to your dad? Like, you don't need this to be listening true. to me. This is true. Yeah. This is true. And I did that because, <laughs> oh no, you're going to make me tell a story. <laughs> oh, oh, let me hear. I want to know. Um, I thought your oh, this is I thought your conversations were more interesting. <laughs> well, that's what you get when you're James White's daughter. Well, well yeah, she's like no, James White, the most interesting man on the no, planet. That's a universal that's yeah. a universal phenomenon. I'm telling you, like my kids, they're uh-huh. they're like, uh, what was uh-huh. the message about tonight? Yeah. I'm like, guys, I have to sit down and go over with them again uh-huh. because they're so tired of hearing my voice. Yeah. Right. That I'm mean, like, okay, yeah. I'll tell you an example. This last week, this is a really cool story. So just found out that there's an athe- a guy who is an atheist that just came to Christ, turned his life to Christ. He's now a believer. He's at Apologia now. He's at one of our, our reach groups. And um, Candy got to talk to him this week. He was at Holly and Jason's reach group. Cool. He came to Christ, I think, either at the abortion mill or through watching abortion mill videos. Wow. And so he's turned wow. his life to Christ. So he was saying at reach group this, this week, Candy heard him. She's like, this will really bless you. He was saying that when he was at church on Sunday, he was like, I was on the edge of my seat through the whole sermon. Mm-hmm. And Candy, my wife, mm-hmm. was like, you were? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Right. No, it's just true. And I, so I remember going out to the temple to hand out tracts to Mormons was like the highlight of my year. It was like I loved Christmas and I loved going to the Mormon temple. That yeah. was like the things that I look forward to. And I remember when... You, your group, the Jeff and Jerry and that whole group, Casey, everyone started coming out mm-hmm. and it was like fun for me because well, and it's like they're a little bit younger. They're a little bit like mm-hmm. cooler looking yeah. like yes. to you. Your dad was just your dad. Like He's your dad's dad. really cool. He's but... really cool. I love him, but I've heard I've heard this right. before. And so I remember I would kind of hang around the younger group of people who was coming out there to hear the conversations that they were having mm-hmm. because I've heard my dad yeah. have these conversations a million times but I haven't heard this guy with the seatbelt belt have <laughs> oh, this conversation yet that's what she remembers <laughs> yeah. no okay so why are people we need to have two episodes like one is just story time and the other the other is like the actual like theology stuff but wait, I, I wore yes yes it, and it's if that's stu- if people had if people had pictures of that mm-hmm. it would give much better content for like Steven Anderson or something oh, yeah. Have. yeah like I wore a seat belt um, um belt, belt an as actual seat belt click, click and yeah. it had mm-hmm. it, but here's the thing it wasn't just a seat belt belt it also had bottle caps of soda bottles. Oh, I don't remember the, that. All the way around it. So here's here's a funny story that. with your dad. So one, and one time, I go to the Mormon temple. Highlight of my life, too. Seriously. The best memories of my life are at the Mormon <laughs> yes, temple. Yes, yes. Christmas, Mormon, Mormon temple, temple with James White. That's, that's, same. that's what we're exactly the same. This is why we're such good friends. Because we all love the same things. So um, I come to the Mormon temple. I'm probably, 19, I'm probably 20 years old, 21 maybe. 
and I was wearing these plaid pants, like almost like bell bottoms. And, oh, no. and um, they were they were not skinny jeans. They were just plaid pants with like like 70s kind of pants. Okay. And I come to the temple. I got my backpack, my Bible. I got everything ready to go. I'm ready to do evangelism. Your dad's there in the corner. He turns around and sees me. And I'm like, hey, Dr. White. And all he does oh, no. is there's somewhere there's no like now I think your dad would, would look at me and go. He would like make like a face and like, like what? What? And but he just all he does, he looks at me. He looks down at my pants. And I'm just standing there looking at him, and he looks back at my face, he looks down at my pants again, and he just looks at my pants, he's staring, and he looks at my face again, and all, I, all he does is he turns around and looks away, and honest, before God, all I did was I turned back around, I pushed the button for the walk sign to walk back to my car, I drove all the way home, changed my pants, came back, and then when he turned around and saw me, he just looked down at my pants, and he just looks up at me, he just nods his head like, like, hey, right choice to make like i went all the way home and changed my pants because your dad gave me like this look of dissatisfaction i was like there's no way i'm gonna because no. i would have been talking all night and all I, every time i would have looked over he would have been looking at my pants like no i know yeah. i can relate to this so much yeah. because if you ask my dad the reason that i never got spanked as a child was because all he had to do was look over his glasses at me right and whatever i was doing you. <laughs> I was sorry, <laughs> and I was done, yeah, yeah. and I wasn't gonna do it again. Yeah. I, that that's look, what, that look, that look. Oh, at, I know it. At my pants. I know and I was that like, look. No, thankfully I didn't live that far away at the time, so no it was kidding. no big deal. I was like, I'll just change it. <laughs> it's okay. I'll change. I'll change real fast. He didn't say anything. <laughs> Nothing. He didn't even give me like a squinty eye. He just looked down at him, looked at me, looked down at him, and I was like, oh no. So here's another thing. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when I was like, I think I was about 23, 24. <laughs> How old were you then? I don't know. How? I'm 30. Okay. You're. Well, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't. 41. So you're 11 mm, years older than me. So maybe I was 25, somewhere around then. Okay. You were seeing one of my karate students. Uh, yes, I was. And you came to my house. I did. You came to my house and watched a movie at my yes, house. Yes, I remember that. With one of my karate students. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. And That's I was right. like, this is, and I remember thinking at the time, I, what was I doing? Playing video games or something? Um, I was on the computer, wasn't well, I? Well, Imogen and Sage were toddlers. I mean, mm -hmm. they were tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh -huh. Uh, and Jerry was there. Obviously, Jerry was there. Jerry's, because he lived with me. <laughs> Jerry's in all of our stories. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't remember. I was just, uh, I was so nervous. Yeah. I felt so out of place. I was like, does anybody want, I don't know. This is weird. <laughs> you know, it was the first time I'd like dated a guy and, yeah. and, and then all these other guys that I looked up to because you guys did such a great job talking to the Mormons were there. And yeah. I was just like... I'm just gonna sit here and be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> like that was all I did. Yeah, was yeah. Just... She was quiet the whole cool time. She and maybe said hi to me. Maybe uh -huh. that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is weird. So anyway, we have, that a long, was... we have a long history. Oh yeah, it's great. Well, and now like, like we remember your kids when they were legitimately kids, right. and now your kids are married or getting married, or your youngest right. is ten, mm -hmm. and. Right. Like weird, going on twenty one. Wow. He thinks, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's weird having the youngest. Well, and he child. like legitimately asked me. So when he, he like legitimately asked me today, like, how's it going? Like, how are you feeling? What's like, up, Joy? Like he yeah. was twenty five. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you are you all right? <laughs> yeah, okay. It was adorable. Yeah. Well, he always asks where Matthew is because yeah, he loves Matthew. Best friends now. Yeah, he loves Matthew. We'll have to take Matthew him foraging again. Matthew is his hero. Is his hero. Yes. <laughs>
Okay, well, now that you guys have know our life story. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, we, do, we can do it. We two, could, two shows. Yeah, this is, we are hardly scratching the surface, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. um, so we, Joy and I, this is funny. <laughs> I think we have recently confessed um, in one of our past episodes how little uh, forethought or planning <laughs> we, we put into our shows. Yeah. But this, this spring, winter-ish, and and we're from the desert, so this is just spring to me. Mm-hmm. Has been weird because we, um, I shared with you guys, our designer was having a baby. She had her baby. She's adorable. But we had to plan all of our shows ahead of time. Well, then we had like, we had, I was getting married. That's right. And then I was going to Australia and New Zealand. That's right. And then it was the holidays. Right. And then Nikki was going to have her baby. Right. So, so we last... actually had to plan yeah. pretty far in advance. Right. So last fall, we decided that there were a couple of things we wanted to talk about. And we're like, okay, how do we want to come at this angle? And then we realized, wait, if we talk about all these things, but we don't talk about God's law first, we're not really going to be laying a foundation that anybody can stand on. And um, obviously, we are so... uh, You know, here's one thing I hate about the reform community. I was going to say we're so lucky. And I was like, someone out there is going to be like... Asterisk blessed. <laughs> we are so lucky <laughs> to, to have, uh, you know, someone like Jeff who's used to having these conversations, particularly about God's law. I sat, I sat through your sermon series on uh, when you went through the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, yeah. Um, and you guys, if you should go listen to those, I highly recommend it. Um, <clears throat> and so we thought, well, who better <laughs> to have come on the show to talk to us about right. God's law? Because at the end of the day, uh, if we want to talk about how to live as a Christian, you're going to be trying to hop along with one foot if we don't understand how a Christian should view and live under God's law. Well, and a lot of people just have misconceptions about what it is, which ones we follow. Is it just the right you know the ten commandments or right do we not worry about anything in the old testament because of the new covenant right that kind of thing so i think it's just like i think a lot of people just shy away from the topic in general right um because it a lot of people think that what it means is studying for the rest of my life which i kind of feel that way too when it comes to god's <laughs> law so it's great but isn't that exciting it's yeah not, it's not lucky but it is very nice <laughs> to have so many resources in such close proximity yes so um i guess my first my first question would be and this is something i know what your answer is going to be and that's why i had you on the show because <laughs> right. i like your answer and it's because it's <laughs> the right one um so we see over and over in the Old Testament a discussion about, particularly in the Psalms, loving God's law, um, how the law is a light to us. Um, but I was hoping you could, <laughs> briefly, just kidding, I won't say that to you. Um, what did what did Jesus mean when he said that he did not come to abolish the law but fulfill it? That? No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I think it's important because this is a question that um, we all have to come and we have to face this because it's all throughout the Old and New Testament. So if you go to the Old Testament, you have God speaking highly about his law in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where he's actually 
telling people that this is going to be their wisdom in the sight of the people and that the, the, when God gives his law, the law that many Christians today will diss and say, no, that's defunct and over and that's the big mean God. He actually talks about it in terms of the nations are supposed to actually look at these laws and say, what kind of nation is this that has a God so n- near to it as, as this one? And what kind of... It was a sign are, of his love, like yes. that he would so closely attend yeah. to that Yeah, and when you have pagan nations like talking about cutting people's lips off for certain crimes, um, and they look at Israel and they see these just laws and statutes where like, oh, for theft, you have to pay it back. There's no prison. There's no 10-year prison sentence and then coercive taxation. And there's no cutting somebody's hand off. There's, if you stole something, there has to be reconciliation and there mm. has to be a repayment. If you stole somebody that belongs to somebody's business, it, mm-hmm. it actually made them, that's how they actually made their living. Then there's, there's even more added on top of that so that they can recover what was lost because of the business. So you see like a just statue, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, no injustice. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. People go, oh, that doesn't, that's not relevant anymore. Um, you better hope that it is. The eye for eye, tooth for tooth in the judicial system is relevant today. Or otherwise, are you suggesting that there is no justice given right. or that it's excessive justice? Because eye for eye, tooth for tooth in God's law meant equal scales, equal justice. That's what it meant. And so someone says, yeah, but I thought Jesus dissed that in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you mean right after he says that he didn't come to abrogate that law? Right. You think that's what he was referring to? Or was he referring to how they were taking the law on that day and actually perverting it and saying that it means we can have now uh, these this horde justice where like we can just enact our own justice. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, I'm going to get you back kind right. of a thing. Yeah. Like they take it out of the judicial context and say it's personal. I'll get you back. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Jesus is addressing there. So that gets to your answer your question. The law of God, God speaks glowingly about his law. I dare you to read Psalm 119. I dare you to read Psalm 119 and then start dissing the law of God. You're going to have a serious issue with that because the law of God that's being referred to in Psalm 119 is the known law that God revealed in the Pentateuch that was known by the people of God. Psalm 119 isn't about some other kind of law. That was written before the New Testament was given to us, before the New Covenant is enacted. And so what's Psalm 119 about? And someone says, well, it's about God's law. But you see, that that's really a reflection of the way that Jesus is. He's that way about the law of God. It's his righteousness we need, I would say, exactly. That is how Jesus thinks about the law of God. That is how he responded to the law of God, obeyed the law of God. And whose image are we being conformed to? That's right. Um, that's and right. so when you read Jesus now coming into the Sermon on the Mount, oftentimes people will say, well, here's Jesus actually correcting the law. He's, he's bringing it to a higher level. Which is interesting because when someone says, what does he mean by not abrogate it? Well, I think he clarifies that very, very, very clearly in the text where, for example, the issue of adultery is brought up. And he actually says, no, if it's even in your heart. Are we really suggesting that in the Old Testament, God would allow for adultery in your heart? But just don't do it out in public sort of a thing? Or was Jesus actually explaining there the true intention of the law of God? And when he's correcting their, their perversion of the law of God, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, notice that he's not giving a quotation of scripture. He says, you've heard that it was said, said, not written, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's talking about what they're doing with the law of God. So when it, Jesus says, do not think, Matthew five seventeen that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
the 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 word there in the beginning of that do not think is me namasete in the Greek and it means don't even let it into your mind don't even start thinking he doesn't say to them in this text he doesn't say hey stop thinking everybody stop thinking that I've come to abolish or to destroy the law and the prophets I didn't he says don't even let it enter into your mind don't even let the start of the thought come in that's how much behind it he is he's like don't not stop thinking don't even let it start that I've come to abolish. I did not. And I think Charles Spurgeon has a really good explanation of this text that's as clear as, as can be, I think, in terms of, um, go look it up, guys, Charles Spurgeon on this particular text. He's clear. He exegetes it just beautifully. And in terms of Jesus didn't come to destroy it, but to bring it to its, its, um, its, its perfect completion, its, its perfect held upness. Um, and so when you, someone says, well, like, well, what does that look like? I would say, well, just briefly on this, if you go to the Old Testament promises, you go to the Old Testament promises, you see that the new covenant contained the internal promise of the law of God itself now being upheld and internalized in a new way. Not that the law of God is actually defunct, over with, no longer relevant, but you see that the law of God was a constituent element of the new covenant promises. You have salvation as a gift by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. It will only be through faith because it has only ever been through faith. There's never been a time when the law of God was used to justify anybody. It was never meant to be a mediator, which is what they were doing in the first century, turning the law into a mediator between mm -hmm. God and mankind. But it's always only been through faith. But the law of God, according to the promises of the new covenant from the old, this is powerful because we, in the Reformed community, we know these well. These are big things for us. Jeremiah 31, just as an example, 31, God promises that he's going to make a new covenant. And he says, not like the one before. He says, but this is what I'll do. He says, I will write my law on their inward parts, which to a Jew, what's that look like? They go, well, God wrote his law before, and it was on stone tablets. So that was outside the people of God, exerting pressure on top of them. Here you have people with God's law with his own finger written outside of them, and it's on tablets applying pressure from the outside. Now he says, I'm going to write it on your inward part. So now that finger of God that, that put it into the stone writes it inside me. And that's big, the law. And then Isaiah chapter two, the promise of the kingdom of God, the new covenant, God says that he's going to draw the nations up to the mountain of God. That's happening by the way right now. And then he says that the law is gonna go forth from Zion. So the, the law, the law is gonna go forth from Zion, the center place of the people of God. That law is gonna go forth. And then Ezekiel 36, last thing I'll say here is just this. Um, and this is powerful because we say it all the time in a reformed community. God says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you so you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you of all your idols. He says that I'll put my spirit within you, causing you to observe my statutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ezekiel 36. What statutes? What are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Ezekiel 36. What statutes does Ezekiel know about? What's he referring to? God's statutes, God's laws are going to actually be a constituent element of the people of God because the spirit of God now indwelling them with new hearts causes them to obey God's statutes. Mm -hmm. So we see now, in especially 21st century evangelicalism, a dismissal of the law of God, a dissing of the law of God. It was only a curse. It was only bad. I would say, tell that to Saul, the writer of Psalm 119. That's right. That's right. And you know what's interesting about, you were talking about um, the Holy Spirit comes and, and writes the law in our hearts. Um, I was just studying 
the feasts in the Old Testament. And so at the end of the first time Pentecost, which was uh, First Fruits, I think, I think it was called First Fruits, um, the law was given. Moses came down from Sinai Mm -hmm. and gave the law. And then the first time we see Pentecost happen in the New Testament is when the Holy Spirit is given yep. and he came and right. wrote the law on our hearts. And I got chills right? when cool. I made that connection. Right. How It was just, it was so just incredible. There is not to abolish, <laughs> but to fulfill. Right. Um, and so that's it. We'll probably get into this, but in terms of, of course there's elements of the law of God now that are transformed in a new covenant. They're, they're, they're brought to their perfect fulfillment and completion. Um, of course. So no, we're not taking the law of God and saying as Christians under the new covenant with Christ and redemption and the Holy Spirit, we're not saying, yeah, now take it and drop it. Anybody who teaches that is heretical and that's damnable. Like you just drop that on the new covenant community and say, start doing that. Like, um, food laws, dietary laws, all those things were training wills for the people of God to, to train them, to teach them, um, not to engage in syncretism, not to adopt pagan practices, to be separate and distinct and holy people. They were training wills for the people of God. In the new covenant, we don't need the training wills any longer. So yeah, the dietary restrictions and all the things that the new covenant documents explicitly tell us are transformed in Christ and under the new covenant. No, we don't do those anymore. But just because there's elements of the law of God that, were, that are a curse when you hold them in a cursed kind of way, when they're over you in a cursed kind of way, doesn't mean that the law of God is not good, not right. holy, not true. And so we have to say, like, what does the New Testament tell us in terms of how we're supposed to view the law of God? And I'll just give it to you as a burst. There's one quick statement here. Um, we're to assume, and this is what you see in our New Testament, you would see the assumption of the continuity of the law of God, except where you have explicit direction from God that there's a change of administration. So you see the New Testament authors constantly operating on the basis of the assumption of continuity. Even the explicit statement of, say, Paul in Romans 3.31, and this is amazing, it's in the same text where Paul is saying, justification by faith, the law can justify nobody, it's just going to shut you up, but now in Christ, and all that transition stuff where Paul talks about the law and what it couldn't do and it can't justify you, all that stuff, he says, do we then make void the law through faith? Which many Christians today would go, um, yes. yes. Yeah. They would say yes. Absolutely. They would say they would say yes. Right, Paul. Right. We do make void the law through faith. Paul right. says, um, three thirty one. Do we Romans? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So in the very same passage, literally sandwiched between every reformed person's favorite text for justification, Romans three and four, like that section there is where we're we're at with the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. the um uh, the the person who believes they're justified through works and faith in some way. We hang out there, and literally in the middle of it is Paul saying, "So we overthrow it." Then he says, "By no means, actually, because of this, we uphold it." Which law is he talking about? Right. We actually uphold the law in the same discussion about and, and watch this. This is amazing. It's 28. In verse 28, he says, For we hold who? Paul, the apostles, the early Christians. We hold that, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's 28. Okay, so now give that to the Mormon. Give it to the Jehovah's Witness. Give it to the Roman Catholic. Make sure you spread that message. Nobody is justified through faith and works or through works in any way. Teach it, and that's damnable. You are anathema if you teach that. So that's 28. 31. Three, 
it's we're three away. Mm-hmm. And he says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. That's right. So anyone who's thinking that Paul now is getting us into a place of antinomianism, the justification through faith means now no more law, or the law is now defunct and over in such a way that we no longer view it or uphold it. Paul now, you're in, you're in a fight with Paul. That's right. You're not reading Paul. That's not what he says in the text we love about justification through faith. That's right. Well, and Paul so often did that thing where he like anticipated what people would <laughs> yeah. take with it. Yeah. Like he would give a piece of information. He's like, now I know, I already know what you guys are going to do. Exactly. So here you go. <laughs> Don't. Exactly. Like, that's not the point of what I'm saying. That he would it, give that little, and he, multiple times he gave that, that statement. Over and over and over again. And that's right, Joy. That's he, and he anticipates the imaginary questioner mm-hmm. all throughout Romans. Yeah. He does it everywhere. At every, every chapter, you're going to find him anticipating their arguments. And that's what he's doing here. Justification through faith alone in Christ alone, because Christ is our propitiation and God remains just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. And okay, do we now overthrow the law through this faith? By no means. We actually establish it. Mm-hmm. Right. So and proper view of the law the law and proper perspective, you see the assumption of continuity except where God gives divine revelation about what changes there are. And like you mentioned, Pentecost and all the beauty of those, those things, what we would say is, no, we don't do those in the same way, but you do see in the New Testament, for example, are we still doing animal sacrifices? Well, no, that's over. Are we still, do we still have a high priest who's offering sacrifices for it? No, that's over. Do we still have a temple? No, Jesus destroyed that one. Um, no, we don't, we don't do right. that anymore. We're not trying to rebuild it. If you do, how dare you? How right. dare you do, to do that? Like when Christians say like, oh, they're rebuilding a third temple. Well, they, we're, we should say, then weep and tear your clothes and throw right. dust in the air. Yeah. Right, because Jesus them. is our high priest. That's right. And but here's Jesus was the sacrifice. Yes, that's the point. When someone says like, well, that's all defunct and over. It's like, well, well wait, wait. Yes, but don't forget that that pointed to a reality that's eternal. We still have a sacrifice. God still demands sacrifice. Still today, God demands sacrifice. Only ours is done. And we still have a high priest, but now he's sitting down. Yes. And he is seated forever now interceding for us. And guess what? We still have a temple. Um, yeah. In the New, Te- New Testament, New Covenant, we have a temple. But it's not like the old one. It can't be destroyed. It, it is now exists forever. So all those realities of the law of God, still relevant, still meaningful, still exist. And this is powerful too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, someone says like, well, like, how do you view it? Well, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he's talking about removing the leaven of malice. That's right. So we still actually do view that part of the law, except we do it in this transformed new covenant way, where now we're not walking around our house trying to find leaven. Right. Now mm-hmm. we're removing the leaven of malice. Yes. So now we have to say, okay, so the New Testament gives us explicit directives about how these things are transformed. And there's our certainty to say, and now here's how we see this one. Here's how we see this one. But isn't it amazing that the apostles just assume the continuity of the law of God, for example, in, um, in uh, <clears throat> there's a number of exa- examples, but if you look in Ephesians, if you, I'm just got a list here just to, just to make sure I don't lose any of this because I want to make sure this is beneficial to everybody. If you look in, um, so for the assumption of continuity, if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, easy one, 10 commandments. Paul's talking to the church, writes a letter to the church, and once he assumes the children are there and he assumes, he says what to them? Children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is the first commandment with 
a, a promise, promise. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, what's amazing is that Paul doesn't go, everybody, now I know the law is defunct. It's over. Right. It's, it's a, just a curse, and right. it's this awful thing. But here's a good piece. Let's right. keep this part. <laughs> right. He just quotes it freely like, hey, obey parents, this is the first commandment with a promise. Right. Well, wait, Paul, I thought that that whole thing's a curse and it's terrible and big mean God. He just assumes it's continuity. You're supposed to says, know this. He says in verse one, it's for it is right. Yes. <laughs> for this is right. Right. The no, law no. is right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, but, but someone says, well, that's the 10 commandments. I'll at least keep the 10 commandments. Cause I like the no stealing, no lying, <laughs> no murder part. Of course. And, and we don't want to have any gods before God. I can get how that remains in a new covenant and go, Okay, but let's hang there for a second. He assumes the continuity, right? Mm -hmm. But there's more. Jesus says in Matthew, I'm preaching through it right now, when he's in Matthew 20, was it 22? Where am I at right now? 22. Um, He says that when he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment of the law of God? He quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And he says, love God and love neighbor. All of the law and the prophets are built upon this. That means watch. The Ten Commandments are built upon love God, love neighbor. And you go, oh, lo and behold, yes, no other gods in my sight is love God. Don't lie, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Oh, there's love neighbor. And then you go, all? All. Which means that when you're moving into laws about theft in the judicial context, how do you love your neighbor properly when there's, they're a victim of a crime? Here's how you love them. Make them pay it back. How do you love your neighbor when there's a rape or a murder or... Um, it, to keep them safe, put a parapet around the roof of your house, keep them safe by guarding their lives, right? So you start to see, well, there's love God, there's love neighbor. But there's also the assumption of, how about this one? Paul's assumption that animal husbandry laws are relevant in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So when you go in the Old Testament, you're like, what's this section about God telling me not to muzzle an ox? Right. I don't have any ox. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't right. ha- I don't have any ox. Uh, Unless any you're playing oxen. the organ trail on right. your computer. Right. That's right. <laughs> so someone goes, someone, a person, evangelical in 21st century goes, I'm reading the Old Testament now in my Bible reading plan and I'm through it and I'm telling you, I don't know how this don't muzzle the ox thing is relevant to me. But isn't it interesting when Paul's talking to a, a young pastor, he says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads. He refers to that same, yeah. And can, I, and can I tell you when someone says, well, I know the Ten Commandments are relevant in a new covenant. Paul says, and so are the animal husbandry laws. And you go, so I'm supposed to purchase an ox and make sure I don't muzzle it? <laughs> no, Paul says, take the principle behind, mm-hmm. don't muzzle the ox while it treads. And that's God's standard, which means that you need to pay people who are working for you, yeah. which Christians really need to learn, right? <laughs> like Christians are always looking for a hookup. Right? He's right. a believer. Give me a hookup. No, pay your Christian friends right. Right. better, better yeah. than you yeah, would right. pay the unbeliever even. Like, I mean, bless people. Take care of them. Christians are always looking for Money's handouts. Money is the root of all evil. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the, so, and, so you go, okay. Well, well then what? why is everyone trying to hold on to their money by getting a deal? <laughs> right. You should be giving away your money. It, it's yep. evil. Let it go. Yep. So just a list here real fast in terms of the, yes. I, I told you that this is, this is where I hang is you see in our new Testament, the assumption of the continuity of the law of God, except where there's explicit, explicit direction from the law of God that tells us, and this no more, no more. Right. You don't do this anymore. Why? Cause it had it per its purpose and it's fulfilled now. That administration is over. So we're not saying you drop the law of God down in a new covenant. You're saying now we have Jesus and the spirit, and now we actually relate to it in its perfect way, in its fulfilled mm-hmm. way. So um, how about the Ten Commandments? Yeah, that's quoted and assumed in a New Testament. You can, I mean, there's more than one example. Right. But you see in the animal husbandry law, 
general equity is 1 Timothy 5.18. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads. Or how about this, when the Apostle Paul and Jesus uh, refer to the judicial law in the Old Covenant that was for judges, and it was what? It was, you don't receive an accusation on the basis of one person. Right. That's right. You do it on the basis of two to three witnesses, which meant two to three independent lines of evidence and witness, which today you would say, uh, how could you count that? Well, DNA mm-hmm. would count as one witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about uh, video camera footage? Mm-hmm. Well, now we have thousands of witnesses who watch the thing happen. Yep. Um, so it's, it's not to say that you have to have three people who, who saw something. It's two to three independent lines of witness. Well, isn't it amazing in Matthew 18, Jesus assumes that standard of justice right, and right, says right. Two, you bring two to three. And then Paul does the same thing. That's he says right. to pastors, he says, receive no accusation against an elder unless it's on the basis of two to three witnesses. Hey, guys, that's from the judicial law. Right. That's God's standard of justice. So now we have 10 commandments, animal husbandry, judicial standards, and then you get into things like the death penalty. This is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the Apostle Paul in Acts 25. This is one that when I saw this, I was like, praise God, there it is again. I want you to think about the timeline now. Acts 25, the Apostle Paul now is in trouble. Yes. And he's, be, he's being accused of things that deserve the death penalty. And so what happens is you think about the timeline. Okay, Jesus died. Jesus rose again and Jesus is ascended. So he's now seated on his throne. We're not even, like some people might make arguments, well, Jesus didn't die yet. Well, this is, we're done. Like it's, oh, Pentecost has happened. Holy yeah. Spirit's mm-hmm. poured out. Yes. The gospel's now going to Gentiles, yes. not just the yeah. Jews. Because there were stages even in, in the promise of the old covenant, first to the Jews, then, then to, to the, the Gentiles. Yep. So now they're going to, there's this far into the motion now of now to Gentiles. Paul gets picked up. He's being accused of things. And it's amazing what he says. He says before the court, he says, if I have done anything worthy of death, then I do not object to dying. So someone says, well, in the New Testament now, no more capital punishment, no more death penalty. Here's the apostle at a court saying, if I've done anything worthy of death, then I don't object to dying. But he's like, but I haven't. But if it's true that I have, then I don't object to dying. Why? Because God's standards are God's standards. That's right. And if I'm guilty of it, then I deserve to die. That's right. So now you have capital punishment being affirmed by the apostle, the Ten Commandments being affirmed, animal husbandry laws, judicial laws, we can keep going. Yeah. It goes on and on and on. And somebody says, well, how do I know? I don't want to be like, I don't want to be in this weird tangled up mess where I don't know what actually applies today. I would say, well, why don't you start with the book of Hebrews? Yes. And see how the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, Apollos, Paul, or whatever, how the writer of Hebrews actually shows you in that context of Jews, how we're supposed to view the law of God under the new covenant. And somebody says, um, okay, so there's explicit explanation in the New Testament. I would say absolutely explicit explanation as to how you're supposed to view these things. But here's what's really interesting. I'm going to get to the passage here because it's, it's, it's compelling in terms of how people talk about, and I should say properly, dis the law of God um, yeah. today under the new covenant and Christians talking about the law of God. Um, in the writer, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews um, is talking about, of course, Jesus. He talks about um, him as a priest. He talks about the Melchizedek priesthood. He talks about the sacrifices. Um, but it's interesting because he talks about in chapter two um, that the law of God, that when people received penalties, they received a just penalty. It was just. So, the, even the writer of Hebrews, as he's talking about the law of God, 
and he's showing its transformation under the new covenant. When this person refers to the law of God, they say they received a just penalty. That's right. So what? So what are we saying about the law of God? It's we don't want just penalties anymore. Right. Like in a society, we don't want just penalties because like it's a just penalty. Well, what's that mean today? That it's just. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Like so. So what are we saying in the new covenant? God's no longer concerned with justice. Right. Like he doesn't care anymore. Like in Isaiah chapter one and two. Well, that totally degrades the sacrifice of Jesus because then what is it mm. like the reason that, that Jesus died have to be met, was yes was right. that so God could remain just that's right at totally yes like you need to rethink yes. how you're thinking about the sac like the ultimate sacrifice that saved you well like and, that and, wouldn't have needed to happen and if justice was just thrown out the window and isn't that called a the writer of Hebrews says the passage you're talking about how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's what it's called. Yes. So, so it's a, it's interesting. I just want to read this because it's, it's a very convicting passage that really challenges me. Um, yes. by, the, by the way, um, convict us. Yes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 is another one of my favorite passages. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it for this episode because people need to hear these passages. And this is Isaiah is all about the coming Messiah's kingdom yes. and what he's going to do salvifically you know, justify the many as he bears their iniquities. All that's there, but it's not just salvation. It's what else he's going to do in the world. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 42, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. Watch this. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Mm-hmm. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Watch this. And the coastlands wait for his Law. law his law now watch this just to be fair i don't care if you're post mill i don't care if you're amill i don't care if you're pre-mill what we have to all embrace here is that's a promise about the messiah and justice in the world and god's law that's in isaiah 42 which law is he referring to right and which law are the coastlands waiting for right and the fact that you see the messiah's current concern with justice here like i said i don't care what what eschatological perspective you have you had better hold that up in your eschatology because somehow that has to work in and somehow you have to show that the Messiah is still concerned with justice. That's right. He's still concerned with justice. But here's one more. Isaiah chapter um, one. This is a part where God disses his people and he challenges them in their false worship. He basically tells them, I don't, I don't want your worship. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of all this fat, these well-fed um, animals, these sacrifices, burnt offerings, all these things, blood of bulls and goats. He says, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? He says, these new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. God's saying, I don't even, I don't want your worship. I don't like it. You say, like, why is God responding like this to their worship? How come about their worship? And here's what he says. Remove the evil, verse 16 of chapter one, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And by the way, this is right before the famous passage of come let us reason together, says the Lord, that your sins are as scarlet to be white as snow. That famous section of come let us reason together is literally right after he says, seek justice, correct oppression. So repent of your sins, I'll forgive you. And then what? Cease to do evil, learn to do good, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. This is the God we worship. He cares about justice. I'm not talking about 
the distorted, perverse view of social justice warriors that we're talking about today. Right. I don't care if you're Christian or, or not and you hold to that. That's not the kind of justice that God's talking about. Nope. When I say, as a 21st century Christian who's reformed in the context of Christians getting woo-woo with social justice, when I say, no, justice matters today, it matters greatly to God, and we ought to all care too. I'm not talking about the millennial, no. uh, perverse, communist-connected kind of justice we're talking about today, largely. I'm talking about God's standards of justice, right? that mm-hmm. law of God. Yes. That's the standard that we uphold, not the perverse Marxist or neo-Marxist version of social justice that we see propagated today. So I'm saying that God cares about justice, and if we say, well, what's that look like? I'm going to say, open your Bible. That's right. And start reading. That's right. And start saying, how does that apply today? Right. What, in what way does the general equity of that law apply today? So. Right. There you go. That's, I mean. No, I do have another question. Oh, good. <laughs> good. No, I'm not done. I I love this discussion. I, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. So I, I grew up in, in the church and almost none of this is new. But what I can testify to is that as a believer, when I think about obedience to God's law, before I was a believer, that felt oppressive. It felt impossible. And I know that it's still impossible. I cannot perfectly obey the law because I'm a sinful creature. Amen to that. However... When I think about obedience to God's law, I feel excitement because I believe what scripture says about God's law, that uh, walking in God's presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 16 tells us, Mm -hmm. and being near to God is joy, and obeying God is a fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to these things. So I think what a lot of people have an issue with is this feeling of, well, I really can't perfectly obey the law. So why does it matter? Mm -hmm. So why does it matter? Well, (laughs) I'm so glad you brought it up that way because I think it's important for us to talk about that and put it on the record so everyone hears this. If you teach in any way that salvation or justification is through faith and works, some combination or works to any degree, even to one law of God, even down to even circumcision, the sign of the covenant, then that's a damnable gospel and it needs to be fought against to the degree that you're willing to burn at the stake for fighting against it. That's right. Get your head cut off and die. That's right. Anybody who teaches any degree of combination of faith in the law of God for justification, if you don't have Christ's righteousness, a foreign righteousness, not your own, his righteousness from God through faith in him alone, if you're not hiding in him as a gift through faith, um, then you don't have salvation. You don't know what justification is all about. But now we're talking about, okay, now what's it look like now that I am saved? Now that God's spirit is in me. That's right. And this is so important because you said like, like, I relate to the law of God in a new way. Like I want to obey his law. I love his law. I long for his law. I want, I, I recognize my own sin and I, my own failures and it's terrible and I have bad days. Where I'm like, why could I, why did I just do that? Why did I speak to my wife that way? Why did I talk to my kids that way? How come I didn't love them like I'm supposed to? Why am I so impatient? You know, oh, why did I not love God? Why did I choose the, the TV show over time with God just now? Why did I engage in that idolatry? Like I'm repentant over that. What I would say to that is, wow, Sounds like Ezekiel 36. A new heart. It sounds like, man, it sounds like the law of God now is 
like a part of you. Yeah. Like maybe it's in you somehow. So that's why it's always, it's appropriate for us to be suspicious of somebody who says that they're a part of this new covenant and that they believe in Jesus and they don't have in, within them a desire to obey God's law because I go, well, the spirit of God said that he was going to put it in you and you and cause you to obey the statutes. So, so if how that come, didn't happen, right. what is missing? Right. Or Paul's explanation after he's um, talking in Romans 5 through 8 about those who are in Adam, those who are in, in Jesus, like there's death and condemnation, then there's a gift of righteousness and eternal life in Jesus. He then says you died with him, you've been raised with him. Um, then he goes into the discussion of law of God. Jews under the old covenant could not, they couldn't do it. They might've wanted to, but they couldn't do it. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. And he says, those who are in the flesh, those who are still in Adam, those who are still dead in their sins and trespasses, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And they are unable. He says, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. So what's the contrast? If those who are in the flesh relate to the law of God in that way, they cannot obey God's law. They're not even able to do so. Then what's Paul's point about those who are in the spirit? They can. They can. They want to. They yes. desire it. That's their desi- that's the desire of their life. They that's want right. to do that. Because mm-hmm. why? They're made alive. They're made new. So that's also why when you look at sort of the, the, the crazy, perverse view that's propagated today by, and I hate to keep saying his name, but say someone like Steven Anderson who, who t- would teach that you just need to sort of like mentally acquiesce to these things. Repentance is not necessary. You don't need to turn to Jesus. And like you shouldn't look at someone's life to see like whether they actually believe in Jesus and salvation has taken place. You go, well, that doesn't sound anything like Romans at all. At all. At, at all. <laughs> at or, any point. Or about what God said he was going to do in the Messiah from the Old Testament. He said that it was right. not just going to be justification and salvation, but a spirit now, tra- a spiritual transformation and a new heart, new life, and the spirit of God indwelling you, causing you to obey God. So where's that in your story? Right. Because the, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, which contains blessings of salvation, justification, the rule of Christ the law of God, a new perspective, all of that. Right. Like it's this whole good news story. It's not truncated down to just justification through faith, which is the heart of the gospel. Right. But it's it's bigger than that. It's right. more beautiful than that. Right. So what would you say to a Christian who is feeling that, um, you know, I want to I want to be obedient. I don't want to be ungodly, but is discouraged because they see how much they fall short. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? I just said it on Sunday after the message. I said, we were, we're in this discussion of Jesus saying the two greatest commandments, all the law and the prophets are built upon these. I said, now, taken now with what Jesus said, one of my favorite things as a pastor is when I sit down in front of people, especially new believers. It has truly been like a delight of my life. When I see this, I always smile. And I warn the church. I said, so if I ever have this discussion with you and you start, you see me smiling, I'm not mocking you. I am so grateful. Mm-hmm. What I mean is I've seen it so many times where I've had people in front of me, say at Calvary at the hospital, where one week they were just yelling at me in the chapel. They were trying to argue with me and debate with me. And then they came to Christ. And then like the next week or two weeks later, they were in my office, broke down in tears, crying, because they said that they, they, they were struggling so much with the fact that they 
they want to love God so much better, but they, 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 they're like, I, I was lusting after this girl today, Pastor Jeff, and, and I don't want to do that anymore, and I'm, I'm struggling with that, and, and how, how, do I, how do I stop doing this? And, I, and I, I, was, I lost my temper today, and they're like, they'll start like, sort of like elaborating on all the ways that they're having this internal fight now, and I'm just smiling because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, and this is how he does it, mm-hmm. like this. That's he, not what a life of rebellion looks like. No. Anguish over right. your anguish, anguish over, over your sin. disobedience. Right. <laughs> and so it's how a does, gift. It's a gift. How does God transform us as believers? Be honest. Every Christian listening right now that has wa- been walking with God and has been sanctified in areas of your life, you know this is how God did it. He first exposed it in you. And marriage is the great exposer of sin, right? Amen. If you want to be sanctified on the fast track, get married because it will, because what happens is, is your, that person next to you will expose stuff in you. You never saw as a single person. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, so that comes up. So the Holy Spirit gets a little assistance from our spouses. No, no, just kidding. Um, so um, now you're oppressing all the yeah, right, people. Yeah, that's right. No, but what I mean is, is it's a good thing for people to think about in terms of like whatever the conflict, whether it was at work or you lost your job and like you had to get to a place of trusting God and not being worried to believe in Him, or if, or if like through conflict with your spouse, you saw that you're really an angry person, mm-hmm. you're a wrathful person, and you didn't see it when you were single because right. there's no one to yell at. Right. But you see it now because now the person is next to you. Or it just takes a lot longer. Yes. It takes you six years instead of six weeks. Yes. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. point is. You're like, is, oh, I have this problem. What happens is, and all of us know this, in sanctification, God exposes sin in our life. It spills out of us. He shows it to us. And all of a sudden we grow this hatred for that life and the old way and this thing. Yeah. And we don't even want it anymore. And we war against it because God's causing us to hate it. And then you finally overcome it. Because God exposed it, exposed it, exposed it. And, and the beautiful thing about that, and this is what makes it so amazing, is that none of that was law outside of me, code that was standing on top of me, oppressing me, pushing mm-hmm. me down, saying, obey, obey, obey. It came from within, and it was real, and it was deep, and it was genuine, and it was intimacy with God, and it was love for God that drove it. And so that's genuine. It's not hypocrisy. It's not code outside of me. Here's a list. Obey it. It's inside with the finger of God written on me. So it's a powerful, powerful way that um, that God changes people and, and we should all glory in it. So what I say to people is, look, if you didn't hate your sin, if you didn't struggle with it, I would question whether you knew Jesus. But the fact that you hate it and you're struggling with it means you need to rejoice. You need to turn this into praise. When God causes you to hate your sin, you need to worship God and praise and delight in that and then walk in repentance and put things to death in your life. That's what God is doing in you. Um, it's one of the greatest encouragements, encouragements to me as a pastor is that people are not changing an apology at church because of Jeff Durbin. Right. Nobody's changing an apology at church because of me. They're changing an apology at church because... The proclamation of the truth God uses to empower people to transform them. That's right. And that's how it occurs. It's all a God thing. It's what he does. That's right. That's right. I don't have any more. Qu- that was my last question. I just, I love it. When it, I don't, I think because I don't have a, a background of works righteousness being pushed on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I am sensitive to people who do, who have come out of, of teaching uh, that that was essentially works right- righteousness. I feel sympathetic to that. I think, but it's just, I see such a difference between how I felt about God's law 
when I, I did, I've always mentally assented mm-hmm. to, to the gospel truthful, my entire yeah. life. I've never, yeah. I never, there was never a time in my life where I was like, this isn't true. Yeah. I have always mentally assented much like the demons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what they know. That's right. Um, but I can see the, I can see where it happened, where, um, God's law scared me and now God's law delights me. Yeah. Like that's, that's the right word for it. And right. so I hate that there is teaching out there that might make anyone fearful of really learning to love God's law. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's it. Do you have a fun question for Jeff? I feel like, I feel like, you know, it's kind of a tragedy is like out of all of our guests, he's obviously the one to have like a weird question right. for because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's kind of weird yeah and yep. he's comfortable being weird yep. yeah that's right <laughs> um so it feels a little sad to me that i just don't like have one ready well i i i will say that um in in this discussion about the law of god um it's important for us to come around it and get the right answer because if you don't have the right perspective of the law of god then you may not be saved, right? Because you're trying to use it to justify yourself. If you don't have the right perspective of the law of God, you can oppress people by, by using the law in the way that, say, first century Jews were, that Paul was confronting in Galatians. Right. And you could oppress people and, and give, them, give them a gospel that's anathema and eternally condemned by God. Um, but we also need to look at the law of God as believers, and we need to be real and say, are we supposed to do what someone like Anne Stanley says and just unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament itself? Well, that's going to boggle your mind because you're going to be reading it in the New Testament. Right. The apostles assuming it's continuity and go, where'd that come from? Oh, that's from that book you unhitched uh, back there. That's right. So we have to be able to, to have a proper perspective of the law of God. Can it justify us? Not by any degree. It was never meant to justify anybody ever it was never a point in time where it would have justified anybody you always needed a righteousness that was not your own you always needed the grace and mercy of god Um, but this is god's standard this is what's so important about the whole thing is a law of god is a reflection of god's own holy character Mm. and so if you say the law is this oppressive horrible awful thing i almost feel like how offensive to God yes. to tell him that his just standards that were supposed to be light to the nations in terms of like, what a great God, what amazing statutes, what amazing justice, what an offensive thing to sit in his, in before his feet and to say, your law is so horrible and just so detestable and it's so wrathful. And well, and you were just holding on until your son came. Could make you So better. then you could be a good God. Right, right. Right. So, so it is crazy. And it's important too because it also goes down to how we actually read the Bible. And one of the things your dad has always taught me from the very beginning, I was saying, saying to join Apologia Radio, you know this, I think. Um, when I first heard the gospel, had a profession of faith in Christ, I'm going to the Christian bookstore. I know nobody. I know no Christians. I'm not going to church yet. I run into strangers having a dispute at the Bibles. And I'm listening to this dispute, and they're having it because I'm trying to pick a Bible. And the KJV versus this is fine too. And so so one of them hands me your dad's book. It's oh. the first Christian book I ever read. That's so funny. Isn't it amazing? So I got that and I'm like, I know where that I know how that happened. Like God was like, whoop. Beep you. Um, so um <laughs> but one of the things your dad has always taught me is to handle the scriptures faithfully as a believer. No matter how much you like a belief system or are connected to it or were raised in it, 
it better come from the text and you better know it comes from the text. Mm -hmm. And so as Christians, I think we need to approach this in a biblical way and say, let's examine our presuppositions and look at the text itself because we'll do damage to the text of scripture by not viewing the law in proper perspective and we'll do damage to other people by not viewing the law in proper perspective. So we have to get this right and make sure that we're actually uh, referring to the law of God in a way that does not make God look abusive or like his character changes or that the law was just a curse. That's right. Somebody might do that. See, that's another, that's what I was getting at. When someone reads like a random proof text in a New Testament that talks about the law being a curse and they go, see, it's a curse. You go, pause, please wait. In what context is it a curse? That's right. Because right. why, why can't we think as 21st century Christians in categories? Right. Mm-hmm. Because the law of God, God didn't give it going, here's your curse, Jews. Curse you, nation. Here's your curse. <laughs> here's, here's this super just statute that's a curse, and I hope it hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not how the law worked. Right. It was a revelation of his own character. Like, right. like, I'll give you an example. Just the easiest way to say it is this. When someone says law was a curse, go, oh, even the one about not lying? <laughs> Well, and even when, like, when you're talking about, right, right, when you're talking about people being like, oh yeah, I can let the Ten Commandments slide through, it's like, well, why? Like, by what standard? Yours? Right. Like, it just seems right. like that you saw the Ten Commandments posted in your Sunday school class, right. so those are still let in. Right. Those are fine. And you also, you personally feel like the like murder is still wrong, right. so it yep. should be allowed in. Like, yep. right? That, and, it's completely arbitrary. But it gets even better though. Uh, what I like to do is have this discussion with Christians to say, okay, can I ask you this question? If we're going to dispute over the law of God and like how it's properly applied today, what hangs out with us today? Can I ask you this? Are you in agreement with me that at least today in the new covenant, we need to love God and love our neighbor? And every Christian has to say, yes, absolutely. So then I say, thank you. You just gave me the entirety of the law. That's right. Right. All of it. That's right. Because someone says, well, what do you mean by that? I'll say, well, the Ten Commandments are love God, love neighbor. Mm -hmm. And then all of those judicial laws and all the rest it was an expression of what it meant to love God and love mm-hmm. neighbor That's in right. society. How it, how it played out. How it plays out. So again, if somebody says, are you saying the law of God? I just checked in. I was over in the kitchen. I walked in, the podcast was playing, and someone's saying the law of God is relevant today and all that stuff. All of it, no. Assume the continuity of the law of God unless you have explicit commands in Scripture in the New Testament that tell you this is what went away. This is how you're to view it today, right? This that's is right. what the law of God is in the new covenant. That's right. So that's how I, we have to do it. So, if, for example, there's another opposing view that says all the law is over, defunct. It's all to be basically abandoned now. It's all no longer relevant to us today. Um, it's all just gone. And then they'll go to the New Testament and see it quoted in the New Testament a lot. And what they'll say is, well, except for that one. That, right. that one stays. And it's like, but isn't it amazing that the apostles never quote it like that? Like, hey guys, we know that this is defunct and over. It's all finished and we're to ignore this now and it's just this big bad curse. But hey, this children are banging your parents in the Lord. Now that's that's, that's still nice. okay, guys. I know that this is all <laughs> not to works be seen. well yeah. for our society. Uh, and you know what? And, As a and, parent, I like that. Yeah. And and anybody who's listened to Dr. White for any period of time has heard this, especially if you've heard him debate and with Roman Catholics and all the rest and Sola Scriptura. Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen, when it says all Scripture is theonustos, it's it's breathed out by God. It's profitable for what? Correction, rebuke, doctrine, that the man of God may be made complete, complete, mm-hmm. equipped for every good work. And you say, 
oh, that's, yeah, we all believe that. Is that true in the New Covenant? Yeah, that's true in the New Covenant. And what was he talking about there? That's right. Because the New Testament wasn't complete. We didn't have a New Testament canon yet. Right. All, all, all. All. And in the Greek, it means. All means all. All, <laughs> all uh, the time. All. That's scripture all, is all means. breathed out by God and profitable for all these things so that you'll be complete. And you go, what's Paul referring to there? Well, he could have taken you to the synagogue and pulled out one of the scrolls he was talking right. about. He meant that one. Yeah. Right. Um, and so when we have this disjointed view of the revelation of God, where we go, well, he said this here. I mean, we all know we don't really need to look at that anymore. This is the revelation right here. This is the only thing that matters today. I'm like, well, you have a broken sword. And that's not how the apostles viewed God's law. Right. Right. So, that's well, great. and that's the thing is like, I don't want anyone to think that like there are people, um, there may be some people that like assume what we're trying to say, which is that if you don't observe the law of God, that you're not saved and you can never be saved and that's not what we're saying um i would venture to say there are a lot of people who have not been discipled in this area right. myself included until a certain age yeah. um and there are many people that would that would say they don't agree with you but they actually do live like when they read romans they're in agreement with romans right and so there is some sort of tradition or something like that yeah um but there is a fullness of understanding right when you can go through when you when the Bible actually is your standard, when God's word is your standard and God it doesn't leave you hanging. Um, so if you think the law is a, is a curse, there is understanding to be found there of what what was meant by that in and that it, category. Right. And right. it won't like the Bible will not leave you hanging. The Bible right. will not not provide mm -hmm. um, a response to your misconception right. about it. That's right. That's right. I do have a funny question. Oh, good. I was going to ask like a really serious question. <laughs> oh, ask a serious question because like, mine's short. It's well, a... I mean, not even really like, I don't even know the word <sighs> to describe it. What's a serious it. question? I was just going to ask because um, it's something that I mentioned earlier, but this is Sheologians. And so we ask the questions here that not everyone would always get asked. Oh. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about what it's like to have your kids like be grown up. Mm. That's weird. Because a lot of people who are listening to this right now are in a like in a season of their life where they're still taking care of their kids. They're still mm -hmm. in their home. They're still having to cool. look at them every day so and a funny, a funny, spank them every day. A funny segue <laughs> is um, yesterday I, I went and I ate lunch by myself. And as I sat there in silence at a restaurant by myself... And I did not know what to do. And I stared <laughs> literally at a wall. <laughs> it dawned on me that a day soon is coming where four I'm little sure Jeff people. I'm sure before you know it, before, basically. Be four little people are not going to depend on me for yep. their every physical need. Right. And I'm sure that that's going to be a very strange feeling because mm -hmm. I experienced that feeling for about 45 minutes yesterday and I didn't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, awesome. And I, I was thinking, I'm just sitting there eating my Chipotle, like, I need to be the kind of parent that's still useful at some point. You know, I'm thinking, like, I want to be useful when they don't need me to buy their food anymore. And how do I do that? And then I was like, I have 45 minutes alone and I'm thinking about how to disciple my kids. Like, yeah. what am I doing? <laughs> yep. This is weird. Yep. Oh man. That's a, that's no one's asked me that question. It's, um, you know, who's helping a lot with that is candy. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, candy's helping with that. 
So like I, I've been saying like we need to have more kids. Right. <laughs> Because they're all growing up so fast. I have, yeah, yeah. I have a grandson now. My, my oldest son is married. And that's a really cool experience. It's like a whole new way of relating to him and just being an encouragement and a blessing to him. And, you know, um, so that's really cool. And the Imogens get married in a month. And it's like, oh, that's really Well, and of really course, I still think of them sad. as little. Yeah. I still, like, I still think of Stellar as little. I know. But he's not little. Yeah, he's getting bigger. And, <laughs> and by the way, yes, the answer is it happens so fast. Yeah. You always hear people like, you know, enjoy it while it lasts because yeah. it'll be over before you know it honest to god and you're in the middle of it so you kind of hate them for a second yep. for saying it to you <laughs> honest to god yeah it seriously no, cherish I'm... every single moment because it goes by so incredibly fast you literally feels like you you do i feel like such an old person now i'm saying this it feels like you blink and you look and you go what happened it's mm -hmm. gone like they're up and grown and it does happen fast so enjoy every minute of it and like just take everything out of it you can but like Imogen's getting married, and oh, don't say it. And I'm I know cry. so weird. I know. But and 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 Sailor's growing up, and that's that's awesome. And she's so hilarious. Yeah. Sailor's so hilarious. She's so funny. I've said for the longest time that like Sailor is funnier than most adults that I know. She yes. got <laughs> no. I'm not kidding. Sailor is me when I was her age. Like just such a sense of humor, such a light way to see life, and just like mm -hmm. that's exactly. She got me out of all the kids. She's me. Okay. Um. So that's why I relate so well to her because, mm -hmm. like, and she cracks me up when she says things. I'm just dying. I'm yeah. like, that's hilarious. Um. Mm -hmm. But but Candy's helping because Candy, she's when I'm like, let's have more kids. She's like, no. I'm like, well, why not? She's like, now we're gonna have freedom to do more ministry and like actually be able to travel to do ministry and like we'll be able to actually take more time to do these things. Yeah. So she's helping a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and stopping me from crying. She's got that perspective into this yeah. next stage you guys the are gonna stage, be in. Which is weird because I would have thought that I would have been the one right. yeah. trying to encourage her, but she really is like stable about it. She's like, no, it's a whole new amazing thing. And she's like, I can't wait for more grandkids. And like yeah. she's like, give mm -hmm. me the grandkids now. And I'm like, all right. There's a way to look at this where you yeah. know you you know you're not gonna That's cry. So sweet. Yeah. So she's doing she's doing the heavy lifting for me there. That's so, so yeah. sweet. I love her. Yeah. And she's I love great. Imogen, and I don't want to talk about it. I know. <laughs> so hey, and my daughter just came in. She's she's cleaning uh, the the studio right now, which mm -hmm. is why I had her. So we had a slave. No. You, <laughs> <laughs> you did a really really good job. Oh, well, thank you. That, <laughs> yeah. That girl's special. She is special. But we keep telling her we're like grandkids now. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah. Let's, let's get them coming. Well, yep. this is my this uh, this is a funny question because because Jeff, I never thought that this <laughs> the the people should know Sheologians is is the idea of many people, one mm -hmm. of them being you. But I now have people who message me to ask, "Who's Jeff Durbin?" and want to know more about you. Yeah. We have so people who find sheologians and then, then find, apologia. find apologia. And it's what? Yeah. Yes. Wow. And it's weird. It's very yeah. weird because yeah. I'm like, it's, how did you not find him first? It's, <laughs> go it's gone this. I so love that. It's, it's, gone so this, it's gone this other direction where now I get to tell people <clears throat> about your work. Oh, that's awesome. So Jeff, for our listeners who don't know, <laughs> because believe it or not, we have quite a yeah. few listeners who don't. That's so amazing. Where can they find you? Oh, wow. You? This is so weird. Isn't this weird? <laughs> I told you it was weird. ApologiaStudios.com and Apologia Studios on YouTube and Facebook. Tons of videos and, and stuff like that. If you go to ApologiaStudios.com, 
you uh, will get hundreds of episodes of radio and podcasts, and you'll also be able to get a TV show, after show, and everything else if you sign up for All Access. That's right. And just in case you guys don't know, we record at Apologia Studios. Yeah, so Sheila yeah. does exist because of our All yes, Access right. subscribers. That's so, right. Yeah. That's true. So it's amazing, and yeah. um, it's just so funny how many people... Well, and one Sheologian pretty much knows what she knows because she sat under the teaching of our guest today. <laughs> so um, yeah. in a weird way. <laughs> and then our guest today started doing what he did because, because of, of my dad. dad. It's like this weird like circle mm. thing. Isn't, isn't discipleship amazing? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah, amazing. That is such a weird it thing. Is weird. Is, and it is true. Your dad mentions it all the time. Wherever I go in the world and it's the, it, your dad's right. And, and if he's getting it as much as I am, which I'm sure he is, like it's a, it's, it's happened so many hundreds of times now that, that I just anticipate it when I talk to somebody, they'll say exactly what your dad says. I was watching J James White and then I learned about you. Yes. And so now I'm, I'm learning a bunch from you. Or yes. they'll say, I was watching you, then I learned about Dr. White. So now I'm getting all his stuff. That's right. So it's a, this amazing little circle that's happening. And um, that's right. now you're all part of our cult. So that's welcome. right. That's right. <laughs> and now I, what the messages I'm starting to get is I was listening to you guys. And then I looked up your dad. And then because I looked up your dad, I looked up Apologia. I mean, and wow. it's just like this yeah. funny yeah. thing that's that happened. Awesome. But anyway. I hope you guys appreciated this episode. I hope it was helpful for you. And um, you can hit us up at patreon.com to get access to early release episodes and other Patreon-only content. And that is it for this week. So we'll see you guys next week. See ya.